working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta and this is Working Drummer Podcast. Thanks for checking us out. Today my conversation is with Rod Bland. He is a born and bred Memphis drummer, the son of Bobby Blue Bland and the godson of B.B. King. He performed with both of them regularly and since they've been gone he has remained one of the most active drummers on the Memphis scene, performing with the Reverend John Amos, Otis Clay and many others. As always, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net, where you can check out past episodes, learn more about who we are and what we're about. You can also find a link to our Patreon page, or just go to Patreon.com slash WorkingDrummer if you'd like to contribute a little money each month to help keep the podcast going strong. There are some great incentives there for donations at any level, including t-shirts, stickers, access to bonus content, a free lesson with one of our past guests, such as Ben Caesar or Carter McLean, or the chance to be interviewed on an episode of Working Drummer. You can donate as much or as little as you see fit, starting at $1 a month, and every donation at any level is greatly appreciated. I'd like to introduce you all to Crush Drums by telling you about one of their new lines. They are offering a brand new birch kit called the Sublime Birch Series. The Sublime Birch is 100% North American birch. Here's Crush's own Terry Platt talking about some of the cool features of the Sublime Birch Series. One thing that Crush has always done is on our 14-inch floor toms, we do a 14 by 13. It's got the fullness and depth of a 14 by 14 tom, but you can also, tuning range-wise, manipulate it to sound more like a 14 by 12 for the guys that, that enjoy that tone as well. It also includes the hoop saver claws that we developed where we actually have the rubber grommet under the claw protruding through the front of the claw. So if somebody grabs their drum set and sets it down, say on concrete, you know, claw side down, it doesn't scratch up everything. And here's one of my favorite things about what Crush is doing. The bearing edges are cut a little more specifically for the drums. Our standard edge is a you know kind of a double 45, and the outside is rounded over so you get some more head contact with the shell. On the bass drum, you'll notice that the resonant side is even rounder than that, and then the uh, batter side is going to be a little bit sharper, just so you get that nice snap out of the kick, but the resonant head really brings the whole shell into the equation of the tone. You can also find a link to the new Sublime Birch series in our show notes and see the beautiful finishes and configurations they offer. In the near future, we've got much more to share in regard to crushed drums in this dynamic company. For now, check out Crush Drums at crushdrum.com. So Rod is full of stories about his dad and BB, what it was like to play with them and just have them be part of his daily life. He also has some great observations about playing behind singers and uh, what it's been like to continue his career since his dad and BB have been gone. So let's go to Memphis with Rod Bland. I'm pretty much Born and raised, always lived in Memphis, didn't really go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Even though when people ask me, I always say that Austin, Texas was like a second home to me because my dad spent so much time there, um, you know, through the 80s and 90s. I mean, you'd see Antones on the schedule, right? And Mm -hmm. you're expecting to be there maybe a Friday or Saturday, and it turns into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, (laughs) Tuesday. Like Clifford Antone just loved my dad so yeah, and Clifford was a bass player as well. So, you know the the heyday back in the day of like uh, being it, and and tickets to go into a club to see people like 
your Bobby Blue Bland or BB King. Heaven forbid Clifford had the wild hair possessed to put them both together right. on a bill <laughs> and like in a small club. Yeah. So you know you're like the average like uh cover charge to go into a bar sometimes nowadays right. is like five or ten bucks, right? Uh-huh. Back in the seventies, eighties, you're paying like that amount to go like witness like, you know, just sheer awesomeness right you know right, the, uh, the, the the whole and this is like when they were still i say they were like in their 40s mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so they had they still had energy to spare um <laughs> and my dad would just like flat foot stand up singing all night you'd have to you have to there were times i know my mom had to pull him off stage <laughs> you know one of the best experiences of that I graduated high school uh, in 95, mm-hmm. and I flew out the next day to start a, a summer tour with him. He had already done like a couple shows in, um, and I was doing like percussion next to the drummer. Right. Um, and, and my percussion rig was based on my brother, Tony Coleman, uh, who played with my dad and also BB King for a lot of years. He had like uh, two congas like right here to your left, mm-hmm. a snare drum right here, timbali set up next to that remote hi-hats so he's basically just a bass drum shy of having a drum kit yeah so yeah there were times so i was doing the the conga thing here and then playing double drum with the other guy just missing the bass drum right a couple crashes china riding the old man was not really fond of the cowbell (laughs) so you know the the cowbell did not get much play in a Bobby Blue Bland show except for like on a tune called Get Your Money Where You Spend Your Time. But but yeah, the point of this story, uh my dad did a Guns N' Roses like show, meaning he was on stage some three hours and he time got away from him. He had no idea. And wow. one of the stage hands was like um, <clears throat> and like the you know, band leader looked over and he in in the you know, my dad was singing, but he's he noticed things going on to his right. And he, you know, held the mic over here and leaned in. Y'all, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to keep y'all here this long. Apparently, uh, I've gone over my time. Right. Yeah, and it was his it was his gig headlining spot. Mm-hmm. But he was just like so happy that, you know, I graduated high school and my mom and I flew out to be with him. And yeah. of course as time would go on, he began having health issues on that particular run and ended up having a triple bypass. Oof. So it was like a fucking nightmare uh, yeah. summer summer of 95 right but, right but it's anyway well. <laughs> me, it started out with a bang and, and it got like kind of kind of iffy so yeah yeah we set up and please do your thing <laughs> i'll answer what you got to ask well that i mean that we are, we're already we're, we're rolling we already started okay cool um so, uh, so that's like that's like two f-bombs you mentioned that you were like playing drums alongside Tony Coleman on the percussion rig. Like, th- when did you start doing that? You said you graduated well, high school. And okay, so here's here's the thing about me. Um, I started playing drums when I was three, uh, destroying pots and pans, uh, couches, and yeah. whatnot. And my dad was like, "You know, you're gonna have to relax, little buddy." <laughs> and the whole time I was just like, "You know, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, do a thing." And it got to the point where he got tired of like paying for new furniture, mm-hmm. replacing <laughs> replacing pots and pans and kitchenware. He's like, "Well, let me let me get you a set of drums." Yeah. And yeah, I got the little toy thing for Christmas, you right. know, 
where every like the the rack tom is like all this you look at it now as an adult you're like why would you give a kid that that's <laughs> that, that's that's not even properly set up right i ran through that like you know bam yeah so by the time i was five i, I come home from i guess uh i think i would be in preschool or whatever or uh kindergarten and there's a a Slingerland Blue Sparkle hmm. drum kit set up, and we're talking like uh, the Rack Tom was clip on, uh-huh. right? So you you raise the arm up, and it's like just a straight arm, yeah. Clips, so you you don't really get an angle, right? Much, and over time we had to use pliers to you know tighten yep. it and loosen it. My first drum uh, set was a, a '60s Ludwig Orange Sparkle, and it had that exact same tom mount that you're talking about with okay and the and the ride symbol was an l arm yep. attached to the ba- okay yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah so um and i found out uh about two or three years ago from uh, a guy i play with called will tucker he's like a little brother to me um he was getting married and asked me to be a grimsman he found a matching snare drum wow. blue sparkle i mean pristine student suitcase with the the the, the real flimsy snare stand and everything too uh-huh. and all of it fit inside the little suitcase anyway i thought that, that kit was from late 70s early 80s only to find out it's from 1966 cool so you got 13 14 floor tom 20 inch kick drum uh, the kick drum originally had no no resonant head. Mm-hmm. The the floor tom had no resonant head. A buddy of mine called Jason Hatcher helped me, like you know, do things to it to restore it. And I've had that kit since I was five. It's been like throughout the country with me as as a kid playing with my dad when I was out of school. Right. And so yeah, I played as a kid wearing these ridiculously hideous powder blue tuxedos (laughs) that my mom put me in wasn't the matching uniform that the rest of the band was wearing. And so like I'm over there sitting next to Tony, my brother playing drums and just, you know, getting it. So uh, as time would go on, I would get, you know, more and more tutelage from Tony or or the then drummer, uh, Harold Portier called Uh his nickname is Peeny. Um, to me, if you've ever listened to my dad's older stuff on the Duke records, like, you know, the drummer stuff, like Turn On Your Love Light, Don't Cry No More. Yeah. The things that John Jabo Starks did, he's like an uncle to me, love Jabo yeah. dearly. I've never been able to just smoothly reenact what Jabo does. Right, right. right. But my dad had a drummer from New Iberia, Louisiana, uh, called uh, Peeny, mm-hmm. and he was doing all of that. Yeah. Um. My dad and BB have a record called Together for the First Time. They do Don't Cry No More. And it's like, and like, I just got chills, like trying to reenact that. <laughs> but like, I mean, he, he spot on would do what Jabba was doing like way back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recently got a, a, a hold of footage of my dad from TV shows like, uh, uh, the old Dick Clark show, uh, the Midnight, not not the Midnight Special, but it was in concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my dad was running two drummers, yeah, Peeny and a guy called Charles Polk, and they were playing "Turn On Your Love Light," and you know he had a huge brass section, like I think three trumpets, <sighs> a sax, uh, trombone, two trombones, yeah, uh, you know bass 
guitar, lead guitar, mm-hmm. and an organ. And if like, I wish I could get you the footage where you could see it, but it was kind of like one of those things. Like, here, this is strictly for you, your eyes only. And it's got the little time bar going across the screen. So, yeah, yeah. I guess that's to protect it from ever showing up on YouTube. Right, or whatever. right. Well, I was but, reading about I was reading about uh, like you know the Duke label versus the Stax label and and just kind of the the various labels and artists that contributed to the Memphis sound and it, it, something mentioned that um, that big horn section like you're talking about is, is yeah. kind of one of the hallmarks of the Duke label something that Stax didn't yeah. do a whole lot but like the the Duke label was more big band influenced in those horn arrangements yeah that um, I want to say was attributed to Joe Scott. Mm-hmm who uh did all of the arrangements and uh gets the writer's credit for a lot of the uh tunes that my dad did um he was so just jazz infused Mm -hmm. right it's it's kind of a it's kind of a misrepresentation label to call my father a blues singer he just happened to be in that genre yeah uh if uh, you know how they say Elvis is the king of rock and roll, Bebe's right. the king of the blues, uh, Aretha, queen of soul. I don't think I would be too far out of line to say that my father would probably be, should be known as the the founder or the father of soul blues, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because like all the stuff he did in the 50s and 60s, that was like such big band orchestrated things, uh, great killer tunes Mm -hmm. and then as you get into the 70s you know if you listen to that album dreamer uh you know the one that's got ain't no love in the heart of the city Mm -hmm. and yolanda yeah yeah uh that that's that 70s sound of the drums you know that's our thing right but like on first listen you're like this is blues (laughs) right this don't sound like blues it's like so it's to me it's like uh the predecessor of what you know, would become the blueprint for what they call, um, I think I've heard the term Southern soul now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's like, it's like a different aspect of R and B. Yeah. Yeah. But because he started off in blue and, and, and blues was always my dad's, uh, music first love that right. and, and, and gospel music mm-hmm. and country. Those are, those are, you know, his three architects, of his of his career um but you know to just typecast him oh he's a blues singer no i mean he's he he covered bill withers ain't no sunshine when she's gone to the point that you know we ended up i say we because i was a part of it um there's a documentary and a soundtrack called take me to the river Mm -hmm. well my dad had already covered the song before on a record in the 80s on Malico Records. Well, the guys that produced, uh, that had the idea to do the movie and what it was about, they saw a YouTube of him live on stage doing Ain't No Sunshine She's Gone. They said, hey, let's do that. And what would it be like if Bobby Blue Bland had a rapper with him? Yo Gotti, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So, and this was, we did this in 09. And by then, my dad had, you know, settled into the fact that, hey, rappers dig me. Right, right. You know, because Jay-Z, uh, on his Blueprint record, did Heart of the City and and kept my dad's voice on it for the hook and everything. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I later learned that uh, originally they thought about 
taking his voice out and having R. Kelly, you know, <laughs> sing like the Bobby Blue Bland vocals. I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> I, I am too, because I would hate to like, you know, go through the rest of my life uh, knowing that R. Kelly uh, replaced my dad on my dad's song onto a Jay-Z album. I yeah, just, yeah. You know, no offense to R. Kelly. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's it's interesting. Like, it's interesting you mentioned Yolanda, because that's that's probably the, the song of your dad's that I'm most familiar with. I'm in a band that, that covers it. Bam! Dude, I just gave you a fist bump. Nuts. I just gave you a fist I love bump. It. So, so like, my entree to that song and, and your dad in general was uh, this band that I play in in Atlanta called Rubyville and the Sulfonics. And, uh-huh. and they got a bunch of original material and a couple of records, but they also do um, a bunch of covers for corporate gigs and, and whatever right. else. We did a Stax tribute a few months ago. Um, so I've been getting more and more hip to, you know, your dad and other artists that came out of Memphis mm-hmm. on the Duke and Stax label. Um, yeah. And I listened to Yolanda and I, I still can't find out who the drummer on that record was. Who is it? Uh, his name is Ed Green. He did a lot of uh my dad's abc dunhill records uh-huh. which um after duke was purchased by abc dunhill and abc dunhill later was absorbed by mca mca is now under the geffen universal umbrella so okay. yes ed green did yolanda and i i met that guy in 2004 and it took an act of God to keep me from getting down on bended knee, just going <laughs> because because uh, that groove, that verse groove. In, okay, so let me ask you: Were you <laughs> have you ever been able to make it feel like like that? Because I, you know, I learned the beat, I learned the coordination, and I just cannot make it feel like he does. And I think this is a thing that a lot of drummers run into, especially on cover gigs. You know, you learn the beat, but you can't make it feel exactly like the person who originated it does. Um, but that, I'll, like I'll that Yolanda group advice. is just so deep, man. I can, uh, funny tidbit. I'll tell you before we get into, to Yolanda, uh, deeper. Um, the song, the groove, amazing. Yeah. I, I don't care what or where I'm at. I will stop and, <laughs> and, and listen to that. And like, so, I became fearful as a kid. I grew up fearful of go, ever going to Charleston. <laughs> I was I, I, and, and 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 ever being in a bright red Cadillac. Right, right. My, my dad, my dad had a blue one, by uh-huh. the way. So I was covered on that. And whatever, however the wind blew, or 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 not, I did not want to meet a woman named Yolanda. <laughs> So what's funny is like I have now grown to uh, have befriended a couple of women named Yolanda, uh-huh. and like uh, like the, like there's she works at the at the BB King Club and uh, as a kitchen manager I think, uh-huh. and I just happened to be in there uh, loading in for a gig. I was like, oh hey Rod, this is our new uh, you know kitchen manager. This is Yolanda. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and she and she looked at me so I was like, what? And they said. That's that's Rod Bland. That's Bobby Blue Bland's son. Oh, that's right. Your daddy got a song about me. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like uh, yeah, I don't think it was about you. Yeah, but we're still <laughs> but, not going to um, hang out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then uh, there was there's a, a guy called Reggie Richards who played bass with my dad from 1988 to about 2002. 
who later after that went on to be uh, the last bass player with B.B. King. Mm. Whenever we would hear the name Yolanda, we would just hit that that tagline. So he had a friend named Yolanda. So they got ready to introduce me to her. He goes, hey, Rod, I want you to meet da-da-da-da-da. I was like, oh, really? Hey, Yolanda, nice to meet you. I'm going to go now because I'm fearful of all women named Yolanda. But um, so for my dad's 80th birthday back in 2010, um, I put together this thing called Rod Bland and Friends. And I had some buddies get with me, and we played Yolanda. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's so easy to speed the tempo up just oh, a, a oh frog yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, I recently played Yolanda maybe uh, May of last year as part of this thing I did at B.B. King's Club. Uh, my dad got a statue in Memphis unveiled like May the 12th. You know, it was like a big unveilment. So it was during something called the Blues Music Awards uh, week weekend in Memphis. I put together a band that consisted of mostly my friends that – coincidentally at one time or another played with my father and with me, or, you know, and I, I called it Rod Bland and the members only band. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were at rehearsal. We only had one day prep because like my singers were like, you know, from various parts of the country that were going to be in town. Uh, we were getting ready to go over it and we had, uh, we had vocals in mind for it. Uh, Mike Ledbetter was going to sing, um, that tune because he loved it so and uh coincidentally he's a descendant of lead belly lead no belly. shit so you know like talk about the blues power lineage like yeah. coming together yeah and uh so he's he had a certain amount of songs he was already doing as did uh three or four other singers and he's like man i just really feel like i might be overdoing it and so i was like there ain't no way in hell i'm not playing yolanda so we agreed to do it <laughs> as a band instrumental really so yeah um there was a thing uh they recorded it for the uh the the beale street caravan mm-hmm. unfortunately yolanda did make the cut uh of the program yeah but uh i'll try to you know play it yes you get a a, a, a listen to it yeah that'd um, be great but yeah to, to 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 get back on the interstate to what you asked me <laughs> yolanda versus any song, as you said, as a drummer, you know, you try your best to try to, you know, learn the song inside and out and try to 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 coincide with, like, the vibe and the groove of the song. But mm-hmm. Jabbo told me, like, a few months ago when we were talking about something, um, son, I don't care who you are and what you do. You're not gonna sound like me. I'm not gonna sound like you. Uh-huh. I, you know, you know what you know what happened with me and Clyde. Clyde play like Clyde. I play like Jabbo. And <laughs> Clyde can't play what I play, how I play. I can't play how he play. And so he said, so don't worry about trying to sound like me or trying to sound like your brother or try to sound like uh mitch mitchell you know i, I told him, i mentioned mitch mitchell to him about something right um and he was like you play like you play how you play mm-hmm. if somebody hire you to play drums you gonna play drums the way how you play you learn they songs but you play they songs how you play right and if they if they don't like it son hey move on yeah yeah so 
And that's that's great advice, and it, it speaks to a, a concept that I've been uh, pondering lately, which is that guitarists talk all the time about how a, a guitarist sound is in mm -hmm. their hands, right? You can get right. the pedals, you can get the gear, the amp, the strings, or whatever, but, but... You have all the gimmicks in the world. Right. At at the bass level, your sound is in your hands, and I, mm -hmm. I think the same is true for drummers, um, and rather than... I'm 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 trying to focus on on um you know the 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 positive side of that rather than getting frustrated that I cannot uh make Yolanda feel <laughs> the way I hear it on the record you know I can make it feel a different way I can make it feel my way that Ruby or whoever I'm playing with is is going to dig right I mean at the end of the day you can spend countless amount of time trying to tune your drums to those low thud 70s tom sounds right um, you can like put all the gaff tape and like three wallets or like a <laughs> ring of uh, drum dots right. or moons. At the end of the day, you're still not going to be able to reproduce exactly what you heard or what you grew up on. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, I had to learn that the hard way recently on a gig I was involved with, um, you know, Certain people are used to a certain style of drummer, like they or, or feel, and they like what they saw you do with other people. But when you bring that over to them, maybe it's not exactly what they want, and they may not know how to tell you this, or you know. So, at the end of the day, um, doing your best is all you can do, uh, mm -hmm. whether it be playing drums uh, or. Like my uh, my little ten year old buddy playing Call of Duty, <laughs> you, do your, you do your you do your best and like you know hope for the best. Right, right. I wanted to ask you about you know what you've learned over the years about playing behind a singer, because you know you played you played behind your dad for a lot of years. Obviously, you mm -hmm. also played with BB King, and mm -hmm. I, I see the you know the Reverend uh, what is it the Reverend Sean, Sean, Sean Amos. Amos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you okay. know, a, a lot of us make our living you know predominantly playing behind a singer. So what what have you learned about how to figure out what a singer wants? More times than not, each singer is different. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, like with my dad, he wanted you in the pocket right there, yeah. you know? And so a lot of times, um, his left foot taps up and down. So that, that could also be your tempo, your metronome, right? Because, uh, him, BB, um, they didn't use set lists. Mm-hmm. They called out, you know, either they called out a tune or the band leader called out a tune, and you had to play it. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, uh, you never know when he wanted to do uh, Don't Cry No More. Mm -hmm. But the the surefire way to know that you were going to do Don't Cry No More is if 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 Blue Cell said, Wayne, <laughs> and, and that was it. And right. If, if, you, if you weren't on point, that's your ass. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, like... <laughs> Okay, so let's let's go with BB. Um, I, I spent a short run playing uh, with him. I subbed for my brother Tony, um, and 
you know, he wants you on top of the beat, you know, mm-hmm. he, and he also wants you to go with him when he goes. Like if, if he wants to, if he wants to go warp speed, you better have your oxygen tank ready right. and your rocket pack <laughs> and go with him. Yeah, and yeah. if he wants you to come to a complete screeching halt, buddy, you stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you know, with my dad and with BB respectively, they were bass players that worked with the drummer where we were here the yeah, whole time. Right, locked you in. You know, um, and 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 for those two type of artists, you know, if they might uh, want to segue into another tune or do some more lyrics that are not in conjunction with the current tune, you had to go with them, but you had to re- rein everybody in. You know, right. all right, everybody follow me because I'm following the boss. Right. And a now, lot of it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is like visual, physical cues, um, and and I, you know entire shows and entire set lists are are based and constructed off those. But even I've found even if I've played if I'm playing with a singer that I've never played with before, if I just watch the singer, watch their entire body, yeah, they're, they're even if they're not giving you cues, even if they're not like pointing or or doing whatever, just the way yeah. they move. Like what they what they want and what they feel is going to gravitate to some part of their body, and if you just pay attention, you'll get cues about tempo, about feel, about dynamics, about all that business, right? Correct. <laughs> I mean, like you have to have your eyes open and your ears open. Yeah, yeah. And as my old man would say, "This shut." <laughs> your mouth right? shut yeah yeah so like you know I, I was playing with an artist that um you know you you have to you have to watch them at all times mm-hmm. and you know as musicians as drummers especially you know we believe in a tempo yeah it's supposed to be like that right realistically it can go like that it, yeah. it can fluctuate a little bit mm-hmm. but it's not supposed to be yeah you can it's you can not suppose yeah you can mess with it you can mess with it a little bit but it's got to be intentional and and it can't be extreme in either direction when i started playing musicals is when that really messed with me because you know like like you said i was i was of the philosophy that like the tempo is the tempo and it's not going anywhere if i can help it yeah um but when you yeah. when you start playing musicals it's all over the road um, you know, because of the the emotions of the scene or the song or whatever, and the same right. the same thing happens in pop music or blues, where you can like cheat the chorus up a couple BPM, you know, and bring it back for the verse, and it's like but it's it's, it's almost imperceptible, to, but it's not supposed to go cattywampus, right? You know, right, right. Um, and that's like a oh, hold on, just hold the chord. Here we go. <laughs> and that's the thing that certain people uh, don't get. You know, you can't. You can't start a song at 98 and end it at 145. (laughs) You know, and especially if you're not going to use some kind of metronome where everyone can hear it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm only 41, but I do classify myself as an old dinosaur. (laughs) Meaning, (laughs) Meaning, like, you know, we get ready to count the tempo off. Or on the hats, and I, I learned this from my brother Tony, and uh, definitely from watching uh, Matt Cameron. I think the world of that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched 
that left foot, that's that's always a good uh, cadence, right? Right there, because you're like you're, you're you're keeping it. That's like your your click, your metronome. And uh, my dad hated when I did that because <laughs> I think that the the shoes I was wearing might have been like too hard, right? Uh, sold, and he would say to me, you know, you give me an extra beat when you do that, and I'm like, how am I giving? And see. I I was young then, and right. like I just I I kind of wanted to always defend my position, um, right? <laughs> I but you know he's been gone for a number of years, and I still do the foot thing mm-hmm. on the hat, but now I'm wearing like you know maybe softer sole shoes, right? <laughs> or it's 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 not that you know noticeable of a thing, but it just every artist is going to be different, so. Now let's go to Otis Clay. I mm-hmm. went and played with him for a minute uh, in 2015. Um, Otis is a soul singer, right? Mm-hmm. So, and 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 Otis, much like uh, much like Blue, my dad. Um, I don't need all the 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 hip fills. I don't need uh, the Buddy Rich press roll. <laughs> Or the the Dennis Chambers, Vinnie Colaiuta, blow your mind, fill between snare, Tom, right, ride bell thing. Otis wants Howard Grimes, mm. and you know, no one plays like Howard Grimes. You know, right? You you mentioned he, he him. Can, you mentioned him earlier, and he's is he like a Memphis mentor to you? Uh, he's like. If 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 there was such a thing as Memphis drumming gods or Jesus, <laughs> you know that that Howard Grimes is that dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, uh, I saw Howard play last year. I went to the uh, this place called the uh, it's next door to the Orpheum uh, Theater, and it's going to come to me probably. Well, after we end this uh, interview, <laughs> but he was playing with Don Bryant and, um, you know, he's just just sitting in the pocket like, boom, pop. And when he went to go do a fill, it wasn't boom. It was like, boom, pop. Mm, I mean, it's like just <laughs> like a seamless, yep. flawless execution. Mm-hmm. So like. And and how could Howard Grimes, if you are a drummer in Memphis, how could he not be some form of a mentor to you? Because you know what you're doing when you're playing uh, gigs in Memphis? You're going to play things like Love and Happiness Yeah, yeah. by Al Green. That was Howard. Uh, O.B. Wright, Nickel and a Nail. And I got to play that song with uh, Otis Clay. And, man, I was happier than a pig in... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> And like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, grooving, you know, hitting a little harder than Mm -hmm. I probably should have been. Yeah. But the whole time Otis was, Otis was moving. And that's what you want as a drummer when you're playing, whether it's soul or blues, you want the body in front of you. Right. That's, uh, you know, singing and paying you. (laughs) If you, if you, if you can get them swaying to what you're doing. Yeah. Not only are you in the pocket, but you know you got you got them and their groove. You got them to the point that they can do what they need to do. Right. You right. know, and I've always fashioned myself as a as a drummer or part of the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. 
we are the canvas right. that the singer is the artist paints on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if you don't have a strong canvas, then you know all the the nice, pretty, full strokes that they want to do, blah blah blah. It's not going to make a damn. Yeah. If they don't have that foundation, right? You know. So um, so we covered my dad, BB, and I threw an Otis. Let's go to Reverend Sean. Yeah, yeah. Reverend Sean, not only is he a, is is he a singer, but much like BB, he's an instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. He's got a harmonica. So his thing is he's like a modern day version of throwback to what the blues was in the in the juke joints, if you will. You know, yeah. the, the 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 sharp cut suits and you know, like twentieth century, you know, blues in the in the year two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's he's doing that thing and he's got like a re- the first time I saw him, I was like, "Like, what the? F- what is this?" Because yeah. like I've never seen like such energy and show mm-hmm. performance in a show, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So like, I mean, his thing is he's preaching joyful blues. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, the genre that I, I love so dearly and hold close to my heart that has provided me a life um, gets a bad rep. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, uh, what do you listen to? Oh, I listen to some blues. Oh, man, why don't you listen, listen to that old tired, you know, slave music and <laughs> sad, sad, whiny, man. Hey, man, you know, let's get this new uh, Justin Bieber. Like, bruh. Right. Uh, no, literally, bruh. No, I'm good. And so you, you just – every artist is going to be different. You know, just spitballing, going back. It all it, – it's based on, like, what you know to do as a drummer mm-hmm. and trying to find the balance in what the, the, the singer or, you know, a lot of times I play with guitar player, singer mm-hmm. bands – so not only do I have to help them, like you know, be able to rock out if they want to rock out, but also have to help them be able to 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 groove and like just. So everyone's going to be different. It's finding that happy medium and balance between what you do, what you like to do, versus what they want or need from you to do what they need to do. Right. Right. So you know, every every artist is going to be different. Uh, long story now. <laughs> No, long stories are okay. We we prefer them. I want to know about uh, Memphis as a city and and kind of your your daily and weekly life in in that town these days. What are the venues? Who are the cats? Okay. Where do you go to eat? Um, What's your you know paint us paint us a little right. picture of Memphis? Because part of the reason, just just to kind of give you a background, you know, uh, we we interview a lot of drummers from New York, Nashville, and L.A. Um, but you know, I live in Atlanta. I spent seven years in Kansas city and, and part of the reason we do this podcast is to interview cats like you who are in a town like Memphis or Austin or Seattle or Kansas city to, to get a feel for, you know, the, the other cities in, uh, the country and, and what their music scenes are like. Okay. So, um, on an average, um, if I'm not on the road, um, 
I'm now doing at least guaranteed three gigs a week mm-hmm. in Memphis. Uh, uh, residency, if you will, hot yeah. gigs. Yeah. So um, Sundays and Thursdays, I'm at Club 152 or 152 on Beale. Um, and Saturdays, I'm at BB Kings mm-hmm. um, with Will Tucker uh, on, on Saturdays. Um, just put up a YouTube of uh, me and him playing Black Magical Man or – um, his mom goes, the things that you guys do with that song, y'all kill it. And I responded back with, yeah, it's a good thing. It's not illegal or else we'd be under the jail. <laughs> um, so, um, on an average, I might, you'll catch me on Beale a lot because that's where my dad got his start. Him right. and BB both, the right. Beale Streeters. Um, and I'm curious about Beale Street, like to, to, you know, there, there's some, streets in cities like that like you know bourbon street uh yeah. in, in new orleans or, or uh, music row in nashville where yeah. you know some sometimes they become a caricature of themselves um and you know become a tourist trap and don't you know don't necessarily reflect uh the reason that they became famous in the first place um so has that happened on beale street at all or is it still kind of well the thing with Beale, it's uh, you know, it's the entertainment district. Um, it's an iconic street, you know. Um, that's where Elvis used to come hang out mm-hmm. and and learn things and add to his show, you right, know. Right. And during those times, it was not exactly safe for anyone not of color to frequent. Yeah. But uh, as my dad has said many a time to me, and I think in some interviews, you know, Elvis could handle himself. <laughs> he was right at home, like, you know, around me and B, BB, yeah. uh, Junior Parker, uh, Rufus Thomas, you know, the amateur hour shows that were going on down at the, uh, at the uh, I think it's now known as the Old Daisy Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing ever stays the same. Right. Right. So Beale Street was predominantly founded on the blues and R&B. And it was a springboard for a lot of the uh, local talent back in the day that have, you know, since gone on to to better things. And and some musicians uh, modern day as well. Um, I got a buddy, George Slupik, uh, who's a drummer. Uh, he used to spend countless amount of uh, time playing on Beale, like in 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 the in, in the Handy Park in the Pavilion, you know, he has gone on to make a lot of great records. Uh, and I think he went on to play with Chris Robinson from the Black Crows mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. Um. Uh, guys like Mark Franklin, uh, trumpet player Art Edmiston, sax player that played with my dad. Um, you know, they were playing on Beale a lot. You know, they were the last uh, members of Greg Allman's horn section mm-hmm. before he passed away. Um, you know, unlike them, I didn't get my start on Beale. You know, I, right. I, 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 I'm like reverse. Right, right. You know, I got my start with the old man, and I didn't really have an introduction to Beale playing until the late nineties and 97, 98, something like that. Uh-huh. And cause I was like always on the bus waiting for the guys to, to get there. Like Mark and art, like where you guys been? 
oh man, we just got off our gig with Preston Shannon at BB's. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah man, you should come down and sit in one night, blah, blah, blah. And like, it was like, I was so closed off because when I was on the road, I'm working with the old man and the guys. We come home and then we don't see each other again until time to leave, unless we bump into each other like at a record store or like, yeah. you know, whatever. I was always at home with, uh, you know, my then uh, girlfriend and our daughter. Right. You know? you catch me going somewhere. I was going to the grocery store, right. <laughs> by the mall, as far as uh, playing with anybody. I had very limited experience outside of my dad until, you know, I first started hanging out, going down to be able to hang out. Mm-hmm. Cause it used to be an act of Congress to get me out of the house. Right. right. <laughs> you know, Hey man, do you want to come sit in? Nope. Yep. Right. Hey man, I'm playing such a, you know, and if you're really my friend, my buddy, then I'm going to support you. But Hey, we right, got Rod Blaine in the house. You want to sit in? Nope. Right. Cause from <laughs> an early age, like you had your gig and yeah. you didn't, you didn't have to go hustle to, exactly. to, to get more gigs. So, so at, was there a time when you had to kind of prove yourself in reverse? Like you've been doing, yes, you've been doing and your dad's gig for so long. Then you had to like take a step back and go to Beale street and go to the local scene in Memphis to kind of establish yourself as something other than your dad's drummer. Shit. My dad's son. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, right. You know, uh, sometimes, uh, even to this day, like knowing I've put in my time, mm-hmm. You know, put in uh, you know, put in that work. Uh, <laughs> I still feel like I'm, I'm I might be uh, having to prove myself because, you know, you uh, like the 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 modern day icons of Beale at that time, mm-hmm. uh, the king of Beale Street, Preston Shannon, the queen of Beale Street, uh, the late Ruby Wilson. Mm-hmm. I mean, that woman could sing and would have the most stoic, devout uh, Christian. Man and woman testifying and then and, and turning up on the dance floor all at the same time. <laughs> um, and then, like, you know, meeting people like your Kirk Smith Hart, uh, who these were like people that were like just owning Beale Street, mm-hmm. you know? They would go, they go from one gig on, on Beale to the other gig, you know, it's boom, it was like so hot. Like, Everyone was just working. You know, I call that the glory day. So I was slowly but surely trying to infiltrate because I was so one dimensional in my playing, mm-hmm. you know, that. And in your experience. Right. So like if I'm playing, if I, if I get asked to play with somebody that's playing a song that my dad would do in his set, I'm playing it like I would with him. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, and you know, I almost, lost a gig permanently uh, just going for, you know, what I thought was the norm until I had to, you know, reel myself in and and take a different approach. Uh, Oh, uh, Eric Gales, his brother, Eugene Gales. I mean, playing with those two dudes, especially Eugene, it opened my mind up more to like music. I was not listening to like, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know a gosh damn thing about Robin Trower until I'd stumbled into BB's one night to watch Eugene play because I met him a week later, week earlier. And, uh, you know, we just bumped into each other. Hey, I'm Brad Blaine. Oh yeah. You Bobby's son. You drama. Yeah. I'm a drama. You you know, Hubert Crawford. Yeah. 
that's you know sometimes he goes out of town but uh mark farner from uh, from grand funk he's like yeah so i might need a draw i said hey man yeah i'd love to why don't you come down to bb's and watch me play and, and, and see you know so like they played bridge of size and like my it, it was like I remember what it was like when I first heard Black Hole Sun from Soundgarden. <laughs> Hearing Bridge of Size play live, yeah, it was like the same reaction. And like, it's two guitar players, Eugene Gales and Joe Duke. And the whole time, I'm just like, <laughs> it's like I want, I want in on this. Yeah. And then like the next set, uh, they played uh, the the Buddy Miles tune, them changes, and it opened up with this like like grandiose super drum fill and then partway through the song there was a huge drum solo by hubert and i was just like <laughs> and then they played white room and like yeah i'd never seen white room played live by anybody other than you know clapton mm-hmm. uh so i'm like so this is considered blues blues rock at a at a at a bb yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I want in. Right, right. So, like, I had to learn different songs and, and listen to the different approaches and feels. But, like, when it came to, like, playing with Eugene, I basically tried to bastardize everything that Hubert was doing because Hubert and Eugene was like a glo- hand to a glove. Right, right. So, you know, yeah, I, I hit hard. Nobody hits as hard as Hubert, <laughs> so you know I'm trying to give him what he wants, like on the on on the on the the classic rock stuff. And then when it came to playing blues, like you're, you know, born on a bad side, then yeah, I'm going I'm going to play that how I heard Al Jackson Jr. play it. Right. And there's only one way to play it, and that's like how it was recorded. Right. Um, and just like playing, from from the networking perspective, um. It it seems like you you really went about it in the right way because I think a, a, a part of networking that people don't talk about a lot is, uh, you know, taking an interest in um, in other people's music. It's not just about showing up and introducing yourself and right. and showing up to a jam session and letting other people hear you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like I found that being genuinely inquisitive and interested and enthusiastic about other people's music and other people's playing really goes a long way. So you as Bobby's son, as Bobby's drummer could have shown up and just like rested on that and, and made that your calling card. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but instead you, you chose to like, you were invited to come see the show, right? You weren't, you weren't invited to, to like join the band or just based on right, your name right. or whatever you were, you were invited to come check out what we do. Yeah. And, and you, you were able to take that in and, and say like, I want to be a part of this, not, I want to add my name and what I've done with my father to, to this thing. But the big, the biggest misconception um, that sometimes I think people have about me is that I introduce myself. Hi, I'm Rod, Bobby Blue Bland's son and drummer Bland. <laughs> You know, um, I had people that would get pissed at me when I used to introduce, hey, how you doing? I'm Rod. Or, yeah, I might say Rod Bland. Yeah, I play drums. And only for them to come back, you asshole. You talking about, why didn't you tell me you were Bobby Blue Bland's son or you played drums with You didn't ask. I didn't think it was important. Uh You know, um, 
so you know, I, I introduce me. I, my I, as I put on a, a Facebook uh, post, you know, I was gifted a legacy by my father, mm-hmm. and 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 by BB as well. You mm-hmm. know, I, I refer to them too, uh, seeing as how they are best friends, and I'm pretty sure they're up there like uh, looking down. I can hear BB now. Listen, Adam, Bob. Sure, he's talking good, son. You you did good job with him. That's 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 my son. And for my dad to go, um, that's my son. Well, now, Bob, you can't be selfish. Now you gotta you gotta, gotta sham. <laughs> so, um, like I I just don't believe. And let me see if I can word this properly. I don't want to false represent myself. Mm-hmm. And and it be taking that I'm only here to the party because of my lineage where right. I come from. Right. You know, um, I love Pearl jam. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm fortunate that I've, uh, I've met and become friends with just about <laughs> every drummer that came through the door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with the exception, uh, I think maybe with, uh, Matt Chamberlain, Mm-hmm. Uh, who played with Edie Bacall. Uh I think we met a couple times, but Cruzen, Abrazis, Jack Irons, and of course uh, Cameron. Those, those are my, those are my dudes. Like I, I can, you know, if I have a question about something, I'm fortunate that I can send a text or Facebook and get a reply back. You know, helping me out with something. Um, same with John Tempesta. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Chad, uh, <laughs> who likes to come to Memphis and surprise me and like, you know, wail away on my drums on my gigs, you know, <laughs> uh, so that funny guy, that Chad Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I mentioned those guys because they later find out who my dad is and whatnot, or they like would see things like, I had no idea that, you know, your dad, blah, blah, blah. Did you know I was a fan of your dad? Like, you know, like um, Jack Irons. I sent him a thing that I'll, I'll, I'll send you later um, of that caravan thing, right? Uh-huh. And out of the clear blue, um, I sent it to him last summer. Didn't think anything of it. Um, are you there? Okay, sorry. Yep. Okay, didn't think anything of it. It was last summer, and uh, I get a, a text from him during my gig at BB's, like uh, during the Christmas holidays. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Hey, Rod, long time. Sorry, uh, just now seeing this uh, text. Um, I heard your dad's song. I wouldn't treat a dog the way he treated me on a compilation. Oh, wow! What what a what a great groove! And yeah, again, much like you, he's like that drummer was like so." you know, cool in the pocket, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I I was like, well, if you like that song, just, you should get a hold of the record dreamer, uh, top to bottom. Great record. I call it, uh, 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 the relationship album. It's Mm. a concept album to me. Cause if you listen to it from top to bottom, um, like, you know, boy meets girl gets girl, loses girl, the fallout from losing girl. Right. Um, but uh, I told him uh, that he would love Yolanda. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And, you know, just he's like, cool, I'll check it out. Happy holidays to you. And just knowing that, like, when I was in high school, 
you know, listening to guys like Jack and Chad and, and Matt and the, the different bands that they were playing in, mm-hmm. like, you know, digging what they're doing only fast forward a few years later. And all of a sudden, I think I heard a phrase called work hard to the point that your heroes become your peers yeah, or friends. Uh-huh. Um, I don't dare fashion myself in the same uh, lineage with those guys. Stepping stones. Right. In other words, like the rock used to say, I know my role, <laughs> uh, but right, right. those are my dudes. I love listening to them. And I, I love the fact that they're, they are respectful and appreciative of my dad and BB and, and, you know, they can, they like hanging out with me when they come to town or they like, you know, just shooting the breeze to do text or whatever. And that we were able to, add like some more, you know, inspiration to one another that probably didn't know we needed or could use. Right, right. And it sounds like you're you're trying to navigate a like a middle ground between, you know, you obviously you want to embrace your dad's legacy and and continue it, but you also have your own musical identity uh, yeah. and your own musical circle and your own musical influences that that come, right. that come with you. It's not just your dad. See, I'm, I'm I am not the 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 blueprint blues singers kid, right? Or blues singers uh, musician, right? Because to go through my iPod, you would all kind of like uh, strange looks I would be getting, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got um, so many different influences, um, but, you know, the guys that I mentioned, and then you, you know, Moses as I call him, Vinnie Colaiuta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I guess Black Moses would be uh, like they called Isaac Hayes. Black Moses would be Dennis Chambers. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, um, I take influence and inspiration from like like any drummer or musician should from all aspects of life and all aspects of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but um, you're asking me about places to go eat. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So, fortunate for me, the places that I would go eat are the, some of the same places that I play in. Nice. So. Um, <laughs> My favorite places to eat on Beale, uh, Blue City Cafe, mm-hmm. the ribs, meat just falls off the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 fried catfish. <laughs> <sighs> okay, uh, I also like to eat at BB's. You mm-hmm. know. Um, and just in case anyone from those respective venues are were to ever see this podcast. I don't like eating there just because of the discount. The food is great. <laughs> <laughs> the food is great. Discount doesn't um, hurt. <laughs> no, not, it does not hurt. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I play in Club 152 a lot, so they've got like above bar bar food. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, yeah. Um, this one cook has uh, created some kind of weird pizza quesadilla, <laughs> and I was a quesadilla virgin up until earlier this uh this month uh-huh. so all of a sudden i'm like i'm all in right, right. um uh rum boogie has got great food uh-huh. um where's your where's your barbecue spot my barbecue spot for straight up full-on adulterated barbecue i would uh i usually hit up central barbecue uh i'm glad to downtown. hear you say that i've 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 been to memphis 
I've actually only been through there once, and and Central was the place that I I went. So did you go to the one in Midtown by the drum shop, or were you downtown? I couldn't tell you. I think it was Midtown. Okay, it, if you saw a bunch of hippies in in a in a Mapco, yeah, that was Midtown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No offense to no no offense to the the, the hippies <laughs> and Mapco. But no, I love talking about this because I like like I said I lived in Kansas City for seven years and yeah uh, and I love just you know coming since I, since I've lived in the South for the last two years it's opened up a whole new world of barbecue. Uh, not uh, that uh, not that I prefer it to Kansas City, but but I've had <laughs> I've had a lot of barbecue that I've been like, yep, this this stands up. Uh, now, there's a place next door to Club 152 called uh, Miss Polly's Soul City Cafe. Mm. Um, fried chicken. Yeah. On point. <laughs> um, you know, like uh, Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles type vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can do that there. Um, my dad developed, and I think I might have pushed this upon him, but quite the, the the penchant for the fried bologna sandwich. <laughs> oh man, that that's that's like, a thing. God God bless Ty Ag for having Miss Polly's on Beal. <laughs> uh, their greens are great. Uh, the black eyed peas and each table at Miss Polly's is adorned with some form of uh, of art. So you know, BB's got a table and it gives like a brief little bio on it. Uh, my dad has one as well. My dad's is all the way in the back, and like a lot of the servers will sit there to do their prep work, like you know, roll up silverware and whatnot. So if ever I roll in, they're like, "Hey, your table's ready." Or like if my mom <laughs> wants to come down and eat, you know, yeah, they, yeah. Make, they make sure that you know she's sitting at her husband's table. Nice. And I used to have this thing. I didn't get a chance to do it because of the weather this year. Um, but every New Year's Day. You know, you're uh, you're supposed to have your black eyed peas and your greens, your cabbage, cornbread, blah 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 blah. You know all that tradition stuff. Mm-hmm. I would always sit at my dad's table, and uh, this is the first year that I was not able to do that. You know, for New Year's Day. Yeah. Um. So, what else do they have there? Um. There's a there's a place on Beale called the Pig. They got like some some good barbecue and ribs. Well, it's it's cool that uh, you know the, the the places you play are are the places you like to eat because you know music venues in my experience you know I spent a lot of time in the jazz world in in years past and I think jazz venues in particular are not known for having great food. Um, yeah, so. you don't just more times than not you don't always favorably eat where you work. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's a good, it's a good thing. It's free in some places. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, fortunate for me. Um, I do get a lot of love and favor from, um, managers that are, uh, at these venues, but, um, blue city and, and BB's, uh, the food is, is, is worth the price tag that's on the menus. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, NotSoModernDrummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. 
Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. Your dad has been gone for four years now? Yeah, 2013. Uh, so was Ju- that? June 23rd. Okay. So after after he died, did you find yourself kind of having to start from scratch professionally? Was was your was your career, you know, so built around him for for a long time that uh, there was some uh, legwork to be done to kind of reestablish yourself? Well, fortunately, um, when I did go and you know begin that process of of introducing myself to 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 Memphis and Beale. I began to be able to balance and juggle like gigs with him uh, and then like plan for like when I knew I was going to be home for like two weeks or one week or a month, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I started uh, pretty much building, you know, my Rolodex. Right. So like uh, while you were, while you were still playing with your dad, you kind of started cultivating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I, I'd been doing that for years Mm -hmm. and, um, the only thing that changed um, when he uh, took sick in March of 13 was that um, I became <laughs> uh, more moody um, <laughs> because, you know, I know what's going on, but, you know, you don't you don't want to make people privy to your your family situation, what's going on. Right. Um, matter of fact, uh, the last gig that he was supposed to do was going to be in Chicago uh, we were supposed to leave on a Friday night, and uh, I think this was March the 11th, and um, I did my gig with Will Tucker, 5 p.m. to 8.30. Um, it was a weird day to begin with because at 7.25 a.m., I get a phone call from my mom saying, you need to come here and help me with your dad. He, he just collapsed. Mm. So I'm... I'm freaked out and I haul ass from downtown Memphis in the German town and you don't do that. Um, 40 miles an hour is the speed limit, uh, on Poplar. Uh, I got there a lot faster than that. And <laughs> by the time I got to him, he was sitting up in his uh, chair and, uh, how you feel chief? I'm all right. You know, and I know he wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, so we, took him to get checked out and everything. And they say, he's just a little dehydrated. He should be fine. Uh, you know, so how do you feel? Do you want to, do you feel like going to work? Knowing full well that this is a man that if he's breathing, he's working. Right. You know, if we have to carry him, all we need to do is put a microphone in his hand and leave him the fuck alone. You know, he's going <laughs> to do, he's going to do his thing. Right. So I stayed with him for several hours, um, and he he looked at me and he said, "Don't you have a gig?" I was like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" He, because I know you. I said, "He said, what time does it start?" I said, "In about an hour and a half." He said, "You need to get your ass out and go to work." Mm. And I said, "Are you sure?" And my mom said, "Yeah, I'm with him. We got him." So I'm um, apprehensive doing the gig, checking in every set break. 
Um, so yeah, we're still leaving at X amount, whatever time it was. I think it was going to be midnight. And then <clears throat> I go to the Green Beetle, one of my favorite places away from Beale. Mm-hmm. It's a bar on uh, on Main Street, and I was having a big Frank Burger, which it's big. <laughs> um, so I uh, I get a, a missed call uh, from the tour manager saying the, the, the weekend's canceled. Your father's being rushed to the hospital. Mm. The fuck? Right. You're uh, just there. That's, that's, that's four. Um, <laughs> so I, I haul ass from downtown to Germantown to see my father being, you know, loaded into the back of a, a, a paramedics van truck headed to the hospital. The scariest thing, you know, you'd ever want to see. I don't mm-hmm. wish that vision upon my worst enemy. Right. So I, um, go and, you know, I'm just all discombobulated seeing like, you know, my guy, my hero, my old man in the state. And, uh, you know, it's, you don't you don't ever want to see your dad like that mm-hmm. or your parent. So a week and a half later, you know, it was determined that it was, uh, he was terminally ill. Mm. And so I was at that time, my, my, my average schedule was playing Monday through Saturday. So like four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at club one, five, two from like seven to midnight Fridays and Saturdays at DVs from 5 PM to eight 30 Sundays. I slept. <laughs> so that was my schedule for when I was in town. It was like clockwork. Mm-hmm. Um, as time went on, you know, after he passed, uh, then BB passed, um, like, I think it was maybe last year that it went from four days at 152 to like three days and then one day at, uh, at, at BB's and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the nature of the beast in, in music for a living. Yeah. You know, um, the ground shifts under you sometimes. Yeah, you, uh, as the old man would say, you got to make hay while the sun's shining. <laughs> you got to, you know, just save your money, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a musician, you know, like you said earlier, it's about the hustle. So you're like, as my keyboard player Joe Boogie would say, you're shaking trees. Yeah. <laughs> shaking the bush. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough that, uh, again, long story longer, I was fortunate enough that I did not have to – begin a rebuilding process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I go out on the road, like, you know, I, I, I went out with Danielle Nicole for, uh, a lot last year. Um, you get subs right. for your, for your, for your house gigs. And, you know, um, you got to make sure that paperwork is you know in place. So the sub receives, you know, pay instead of waiting for you and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's it's about just you know trying to plan as best you can ahead, right? And, and you, I'm I'm getting more and more hip to this as I get older. Just this this concept of of building you know building infrastructure uh, that that you don't necessarily need at the time, you know, right? Cultivating relationships that that you can uh, kind of call upon down the road when and if the ground shifts under you, um, instead of 
getting caught up in how great everything is going right now. Right. <laughs> Man, just you know? like um my dad had a song called uh from the uh his California album. It's called Up and Down World. Uh and it starts out you're up on your feet and you're leaving me all alone when you know that my nose is down to the grinding stone. Um but the chorus is uh it's an up and down world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be cold sometime, but it's an up and down world. You know, mm-hmm. the one the sun may be shining one day, tomorrow could be drizzling cold. Yeah. Saw a hobo the other day that once had his weight in gold. <laughs> so, you know, I I, I I said this to my mom a couple of days ago, like I say to friends when they ask me about my dad and what's it like having him for your uh, to be my father. Mm-hmm. Blessing and a curse. Yeah. Yeah. The blessing is that he was a, he was a tremendous father to me. Mm-hmm. Um, very attentive, um, hands on. Yeah. Um, he doesn't, he, he disciplined me once, uh, physically. And he said, the look I gave him was enough to make him go, okay, I'm just going to talk to you. <laughs> so, you know, he would talk to me even at a young age, you know, he would talk to me, not at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, the curse, if you will, Whatever aspect there is about life, there is a song in his tremendously large catalog that he's already covered for you. It's, right. I call it the I call it the book of blue. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, what, uh, what happened today? Well, let me consult the book of blue to see what Dad has to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like I never, I I didn't know. Uh, what it would feel like to be cheated on. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Chapter four. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, that he recorded a song called how does a cheating woman feel? Mm. And I'm just like, okay. Uh, or, or you know, when you go through a breakup and you know, you're pissed and you're brokenhearted, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, man, I hate you. Yeah. Well, my dad did a country album in the late 70s. Uh, apparently, it didn't sell so hot in the <laughs> 70s, but it's the most sought-after album, you know, because they're like, whoa, he did country music? Yeah. Okay, so he did a song called I Hate You. I don't remember who the original artist was, but the very first words that he started to sing after the, you know, the downbeat and everything, I hate you. Oh, how I tried to hate you. I get bitter every time you cross my mind. Uh-huh. Well, between love and hate, there's a little thin line, and I'm trying to hate you right out of my mind. <laughs> and you know, like I think the the bridge was like, "Ain't it funny how I, uh, how I, at one time I could love you so, how a heart could love you so, and now to be filled with so much anger." I'm like, "Jeez, Louise, yeah. you know." Uh, so why yeah, is like, why why is all this a curse? Why are all these songs that that come back? It's to because you? It, it's it's not so much the coming back to me, but the the curse is like you, you want to go. Well, damn it! Can I have one life experience that you have not already covered in song? <laughs> you know, right, right. Like there, there there are times I would talk to him, and, and and that's one of the things I truly miss the most is just being able to sit with him and. Not so much me talk, but hear him talk. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, wealth of information and knowledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the old man was, the old man had a PhD, a master's degree in life, because mm-hmm. he lived through so much and saw so much. Um, you know, he must like a lot of us did not ever think we'd be at a point in time where we would see our first uh, African American president. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, he was fortunate enough to live to see that, yeah, you know, yeah. um, he was a guy that worked in the fields, you know, chopping cotton, driving tractors. Right. And, you know, he said that there had to have been something better for him than this. Mm-hmm. And that for him was the ability to sing. That was his gift, you know, God given, um, you know, I kind of naturally picked up on drums. It, it, you know, he told me that was my gift. Mm-hmm. Granted, I should have listened to my mom when I was seven, six years old and taken lessons. So I'd be more, um, more on top of my game with the rudiments and, and, and learning the fine art of finger. Right. Right. And, and, and wrists. I'm not saying I'm like, you know, bashing away. <laughs> like, you know, no, you seem to be doing okay. you seem to you seem to be holding your own on the drums over there the kid could use a break here now and again (laughs) but um yeah it's like you know so much of my life um like when i talk to my friends uh about things you know i'm i'm easily quoting things that my dad has said or, Mm -hmm. or or quoting songs from him or bb or albert king um one of the things I quote from BB would be like, never make your move too soon. <laughs> you yep. know? Yep. Well, it sounds like a lot of that, a lot of your dad's philosophy and wisdom and, and life experience, you know, got, got passed on to you and you absorbed it. And, and I think especially in the last four years since his passing, you've been, you've been putting it into action. Yeah. I've been trying, my, my main focus and concern is because, to me and possibly to him, he wasn't openly and regularly celebrated like, like, you know, the guys like BB and Albert with guitars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that was their thing. Right. That, this, that was his thing. That was, that was his instrument, yeah, you yeah. know? And, um, it, it amazes me that I find people, that I wouldn't expect to be not just a blues fan, but a Bobby Blue Bland fan. Yeah, yeah. You know, and again, it brings me back to, okay, I saw Soundgarden for the first and only time last year, right? Mm-hmm. Matt introduced me to Ben Shepard and Kim Thale, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the bass player, guitar player of Soundgarden. And, um, you know, Ben was outside smoking a cigarette and, and hey, Matt will be right out and, uh, he came out for a hot second. It's like, hey, uh, uh, I'll be right back when I go say hi to this guy right here. Hey, Ben, do you know Rod Bland? His dad was Bobby Blue Bland. And Ben just like stood up and shook my hand, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And and we just started talking about how much he dug my dad and the time that he got to spend with BB in a conversation. And then Kim Thale comes like out of the trailer. It's like, hey, I heard you're out here. I had to come meet you. Now, keep in mind, this is 2017, um, 40. I went back to 1993, 94, Rod Bland. Holy, it's Soundgarden. Right. 
and they're happy to see me. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I've, I've known Matt. I've had the pleasure of knowing Matt since like 2000 when he came to Memphis with Pearl Jam, mm-hmm. and yeah, we've been fast friends. Uh, same with uh, I, I met Mike McCready that day in 2000, and he told me he was a huge fan of my dad's. Uh, we saw each other again in 14 here in Memphis, and Mike was like, "I meant what I said last time I saw you. Big fan of your dad. Love your dad's records." <laughs> right. I'm like. So things like that—that's—that's that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. To, and your your dad and like the the Memphis soul thing in general, I think is is something that people have to dig a little bit for because yeah. you know most everybody's familiar with the Motown stuff. Most people yeah. are familiar with uh, like the more popular stack stuff, like Sam and Dave. Yeah. Um, right. But but your you know your your dad is one of those one of those guys that like if you get a little bit into that music, you're gonna you're gonna know about Bobby Blue Bland. Yeah, and, and therefore, since you're already into that stuff, like the, the people who are fans of your dad, like all these drummers that you've come across over the years, are yeah. are ardent fans. You know, not just casual fans, not just like oh, I've heard of him. They're oh, I know his music. Yeah, it, it's like I I saw this thing, uh, David Coverdale from White Snake. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that White Snake covered "Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City." <laughs> I mean, I, granted, I, I discovered this like you know before the old man passed away. Um, uh, it's like uh, I think maybe two thousand. I, I saw it. Um, like Van Morrison, huge fan. Uh, so much in fact that they uh, recut "Tupelo Honey," a Van Morrison song, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, you know Van invited him out on a tour that I was fortunate enough to go do uh, in the UK. Uh, that was my first and only time to play the Royal Albert Hall nice. in London. We did like two nights there. Yeah. And then, you know, I didn't know that uh, David Bowie was a fan hmm. and that Bowie uh, years ago did I Pity the Fool. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like, wow, he passed away not really knowing – how much of an impact he's made and more than just the blues fans life or certain, certain rock and roll guys. Like I, uh, I met slash way back in 95. He came down for a BB King thing, uh, his 70th birthday at the Orpheum. Uh And I was like, this guy, I like Slash, you know, Matt Sorum's guitar player. You know, <laughs> so, so, um, we, we talked and dude, Slash has got the strongest grip for a handshake ever. Yeah. I felt like, a, I felt like he was about to break my wrist Oof. watching my language. Um, so I asked him, Hey man, would you consider like playing with my dad sitting there? Yeah, I'd love to. So you fast forward to like Long Beach 96 he came and sat in with my dad. Wow. Brought that brought the hat. Right. You know, he's wearing like the seventh grade PE gym shorts and Chuck <laughs> Taylor's no shirt. Jesus. So, you know, he played uh two or three songs with him and um I remember calling in to Camp Frady Radio when Matt and Slash were hosting it in 07 and we talked like off air, uh, and then kind of bled into them going back on the air and uh Slash was in the middle of giving me like this phone number to call him back at. And Matt's like slash giving out his phone number. We're on the radio. Hey, see you later, dude. Um, and so he's like, so what's up? And slash like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, he's in town with his dad. And Matt's like, yeah, Bobby Blue Bland. 
It's like I thought that was cool how Matt said it. He yeah, goes, yeah. And, and Slash goes, I didn't know until the drive over that he did a lot of traditional fifties rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you 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 go you you fast forward through life and you know, my dad knowing that I was fans of certain people didn't know that they were in turn were fans of him. Mm-hmm. You know, Slash yeah. loved him, uh Matt digs him. Uh, you know, when word got out that my dad passed, like it was a Sunday night and and I received a tweet, you know, from Matt, you know, offering his condolences and, and everything and and you know how he's you know praying for me and stuff and you know it, it was such a you know to me powerful moment knowing that people like that uh that not only respected him but care enough about me and that's my family to reach out uh, which is why uh on my dad's uh you know list of honorary pallbearers you will find the names matt cameron hmm. matt sorum and steve jordan hmm. because um they all individually reached out in their own way and my dad knew that i was a fan of them and he became fans of them as well yeah the last the last song my dad ever recorded was here in memphis with ronnie baker brooks uh it was his cover of the robert cray uh eric clapton tune old love hmm. Steve Jordan, obviously on drums and producing it. Uh, think the Eric Badu song called Tyrone, but put the words and the melody to old love. And yeah. there you have my dad and Ronnie Baker Brooks together. Right, right. And uh, the, 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 what do you call it? The wake or the, you know, the day before the funeral. Yeah. Uh, Steve Jordan called me um, from a block number. I didn't take the call. Hmm. <laughs> So I know this was true because he ended up calling my mom and someone got my mom's phone and, you know, uh, Rod, there's a Steve Jordan that wants to talk to you. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Cause we, we had spoken maybe once by phone, uh, like a year ago at that time, because my dad inadvertently helped Boss Skaggs finish a song that he was having difficulties with at Royal studios in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And of course, Boss was such a huge fan of my dad's as well, and, and their friendship is is pretty unique, pretty special. But like, uh, I kept Steve on the phone so he could take part in this prayer that was taking place, you know, um, before we you know left the church and and everything. And and he stayed on the phone the entire. I put him on speaker, and he was so things like that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, to close out the whole Soundgarden thing, Matt came back out and goes, I think it's really cool, the, the four of us here hanging out. And it's like, it, it speaks volumes, bro, about your dad and how, you know, all this. I was like. Yeah, his his music and, and, is a unifying force. It transcends, yeah. you know, the, the, the Memphis blues or this, you know, whatever whatever label people put on him because he has this really deep appeal to a broad spectrum of of musicians you know not just music fans but musicians yeah i mean like you know if you're a jazz guy then you're gonna dig all the the original duke stuff with the big band uh brass yeah uh if you're like uh, a guitar player then of course you're gonna love his uh version of stormy monday with wayne bennett um there's some bitching guitar on yolanda too who is that oh my god um 
don't start me to lying. I, <laughs> I heard um, I heard Ray Parker played on some of that stuff. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Um, uh, the, 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 the Yolanda, st- that entire record, like, uh, like, okay, uh, Yolanda, great guitar solo. Mm-hmm. Um, 24-Hour Blues and Loving on Borrowed Time, great guitar, lo- uh, guitar, los- guitar solos there. <laughs> and, and, you know, for your bass players, you know, you got uh, Ain't Gonna Be the First to Cry. Doom, 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 You know, and then the bass line on Yolanda, Shoot yeah. a Dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you just where is that nowadays? Right. So that that coincides with like my project Rod Bland and the Members Only Band. Like not so much just a, a throwback tribute show, but it's a means for me being selfish wanting to play a lot of those songs that, you know, I used to play. Yeah. Songs that I've never once gotten to play with him mm-hmm. and you know to to continue like keeping his name fresh mm-hmm. and alive yeah yeah you know yeah. um and it gives me a chance to like try to brush up on my uh, on my jabbo stuff right <laughs> <laughs> all that shit that tony played and yeah. Uh, yeah, uh. yeah 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 it's important for me in terms of the rod bland legacy of, uh, of drums to be able to not just have a long, uh, substantiated career with my dad, but to also play with BB as well. And, you know, then Otis Clay. So like I've played with most, well, probably some of the same people that he has played with. So when you look up to someone like that, to be able to, you know, follow their footsteps and then in your own way, pay homage to them. Mm -hmm. It's a cool thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's like I said, it sounds like you've got a really good, foundation uh from which to kind of launch this this next chapter in your career yeah i'm 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 hoping that uh we'll be moving right along um i got you know i have access to a guy like howard grimes like i said Mm -hmm. or i can sit with him or i can you know reach out to steve potts uh who incidentally uh steve potts myself I'm only on one song, ironically, uh, David Bowie cover. Oh, cool. Um, uh, Reverend Sean Amos has a new record that's going to come out on the 16th of February. And um, Steve Potts, Steve Jordan, myself are on it. And I'm like, I'm in between the Steves. (laughs) It's a Steve sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. Don't Uh, don't look that up. You'll see something different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the extra cheese uh, (laughs) on that sandwich. Thanks so much for talking. And uh, yeah. continued continued success to you there in Memphis. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Zach. Thanks for your time and thanks for uh, reaching out. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that. I had a great time talking with Rod. I think next time I'm in Memphis, I'm gonna grab some beer and some barbecue with him and just let him go on about his dad and BB. Uh, he is the keeper of those two lifetimes worth of music and wisdom and humor, and I love talking with him. Don't forget to follow us on social media, share pics and videos of your gigs using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and please take a minute to leave us a rating and review there. We appreciate hearing from you. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.